Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. We've got a couple of things we want to talk to you about today. There's a lot of things that are happening now in workplace law, which are the harbinger of much bigger things that are about to happen. Now, we're going to be gentle on these today. He's never done this before. And he's more scared than the rest of I think probably one of the interesting things, Neith, that has happened is that the Department of Defence have been charged for a death uh, mm. where a person has taken their own life as a result of not having proper systems around protecting them from violence. Yeah, exactly. There's no decision, so and it's not a charge of industrial manslaughter, but it does remind us that industrial manslaughter was created as a provision in work safe law in safety law to actually deal with this very issue for people who don't die at a workplace. That's right. We've now seen three codes on psychological injury and hazards. Mm -hmm. We've seen regulations promulgated but not passed as yet. So this is the beginning of Mm -hmm. a trend of what's going to happen. And let's look at where people are subjected to violence. Hospitals. That's right. Hospitality. Yep. Aged care. Yeah. Actually, as I start to look at it, the most obvious one is actually call centres mm. where people are constantly, but people are on receptions, particularly in local government. Yeah. So there is a range of people who are, have that exposure. And the question I want to say to people is, so what is your system of managing violence when it's in the workplace? Yes, absolutely. Particularly when it's a known hazard. And we know that if you don't deal with it, well, certainly one regulator's started to do it and all of them have said they're going to do it. Mm. So. Interesting case. We'll follow that case that goes through and tell you what happens that goes through. Also, we've seen something very interesting with WorkSafe issuing guidelines around gendered violence. We're not going to talk about this week because that was going to be Nina who will talk about it. So next week we'll talk more about that. Now I think what we want to talk about is slightly different things. So Mm -hmm. there's an application by Stevens, which is a a bullying complaint Mm -hmm. that was made or an application that was made Story doesn't tell you why, does it? No, it doesn't really go into much about like what was the. But there was a falling out, wasn't there? That's right. Yeah, and they had a really close relationship at the start, but then it just kind of went. So what we, Neil and I, think about as we had our breakfast this morning together (laughs) is clearly there was some sort of end date in this relationship with Mm -hmm. this employee and the employer were they're otherwise close. Employer was very generous in trying to manage the complexity of this employer, but it was clearly a method of preventing a termination or performance management process. That's right. And the one thing I want you to know about the Fair Work Commission is they're not interested in you frustrating a court process. Definitely not. And this was an application brought to frustrate a performance management process and Mm. was seen through almost immediately by the Fair Work Commission. Absolutely. And the application was chucked out. So, sorry, I've got also New South Wales case for prison officers shooting. I'll come back to that. Thanks, Margaret. (laughs) So what I want you to think about is... We're all doing performance management on people from time to time. We all know that this allegation of bullying will come up. Mm. I don't want you to be scared about it. As long as you're following the right process, you're protected under workers' compensation law, it's reasonable management action, you're protected under safety law, you're protected under workplace law and the Fair Work Act, don't be diverted from doing good performance management for fear of this allegation that's been made. Okay, step back, consider it, yep. consider what's been said, bring a third party in if it's necessary, but don't walk away. Yeah. We then turn to New South Wales Safe Work, who has charged successfully and found guilty That's a right. company, but also a director. 
director was eight year old mm-hmm. man. He was not really connected to the business. Completely hands off since 2014. But this was this is a maritime business. What was the business then? It was a shipping sort of business. So what happened was the employees were asked to offload a thousand kilogram tray into the shipping container. And was, was there a system? There was no system for inspection, <laughs> no safety system whatsoever. No inspection, no, no inspection, supervision, nothing like so that. So they didn't know how, when it was being lifted, yeah. it was otherwise safe. That's right. So this is the due diligence provisions. I've just got Elle walking past who actually found the microphone for us today. Due diligence provisions in WHS states set out six elements that you've got to meet as a director. It's not a subjective knowledge, it's an objective test. Mm. Do you have systems in place? Are they ordered? Would you understand them? Is there a proper risk assessment process? Is there a knowledge of law? So in New South Wales where this occurred, clearly there was no system, no supervision, Mm -hmm. no knowledge of risk or hazard by an owner, even though they weren't really engaged in the business. It's a classic due diligence breach. In Victoria, you might think, well, it's a subjective test here. The person has to know about it. No, the only thing they have to know about is what they're doing. So if they know they're lifting things like that and they know that it's dangerous, then they're on notice under Section 144 of the Act and therefore they would be liable in Victoria too. So this is an interesting case. Remember I said at the beginning of harbinger cases, cases Mm. that are going to lead to more things. We haven't seen too many due diligence breaches. We certainly haven't seen many in Victoria under 144, but we're starting again for regulators to say we want officer responsibility. Remember, industrial manslaughter is limited only to officers. So this is a case that's saying in every state but Victoria, we will prosecute due diligence. If this was grossly negligent, well, then you'd be off in front of industrial manslaughter, wouldn't you? The next one I want to talk about is a PTSD case that came up, which is the Fire Brigade Union in New South Wales. This is a case about a man who was both a, an employee initially of the ambulance, state ambulance group suffered PTSD there, but also worked part-time in the fire brigade after two years, left the ambulance, then delivered a certificate to the fire brigade and said, look, I'm fit for work, and they decided to do a test for the inherent requirements. Mm -hmm. So this is a discussion around what is the inherent requirements, okay? And a lot of people ask this question, is the person fit to undertake the work for which they're doing? What are the reasonable adjustments that are required? And is there any risk associated with the re-engagement of this person, even if they are no longer symptomatic. So I want to put a circle around the back part Mm -hmm. of that because that's actually not a proper inquiry in employment law. The issue in employment and workers' compensation law is does the person have the capacity to undertake the inherent requirements of the work? In this case, the medical evidence showed this employee was no longer suffering from PTSD and there was no objective evidence of causation that would lead to further episodes of it. But what the employer had done has got evidence that suggested this person could become symptomatic. So it was just too dangerous to bring them back to work. So can you be terribly careful in the evidence you seek to collect and rely on? And remember, this is a capacity issue. And yes, there's risk around capacity. Mm. Okay. So if I've, got, risk. <laughs> yeah, if I've got a bad leg, but I can do it. But if yeah. you put 10 kilograms on, my leg will fail. That's right. Then I'm not fit for the inherent requirements of my job. But if I no longer suffer from a disorder which could be triggered by another event but mm. don't know what it is, if you don't know what it is, it's not evidence, so you can't use it. We are going through a lot today. Yeah, yeah. A lot um, the, the next harbinger, because I, yeah. I like the word harbinger, yeah, I just thought that up, word, uh, is New Victorian Fair Jobs Code. When you look throughout the world at the moment, what we're seeing in procurement, let's use Singapore as a really good example. Four or five years ago, all companies started saying, if you wish to be a supplier to us, you have to produce evidence of diversity in your workplace. Mm-hmm. And so... 
only paper high in Singapore. It's not a reality, but you must be able to evidence that you do have something. Yeah. Increasingly, government and large supermarket chains and a, and a variety of other organisations to protect reputation are actually having quite strict procurement rules to show that you're a good employer. And the reason for that, as we were chatting over breakfast, yeah. is reputation wasn't something you could break easily no. 30 years ago. Brand is everything. But, that's right. Social media can tear that up in seconds. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, your bad safety record will preclude you from doing almost any work in government. But what the Victorian Fair Jobs Code has done has gone a lot deeper and looked at, do you have evidence of diversity? Mm -hmm. Is there equality in pay? It's actually shaping through policy what are the good suppliers of labour or suppliers of equipment or anything. It's saying to Victorians, if you want to actually get some of the pie, mm -hmm. you need to demonstrate you're a good employer. That's going to happen everywhere. It is the start of a revolution in the way we procure people yeah. because... Reputation is everything exactly. can be lost like that. That's right. All right. We got through all that, didn't we? I, yes, said, that we did. I just said that it takes three minutes and we're 10 <laughs> minutes in. But then again, I only turned up 17 seconds before. That's all good. Let's talk about <laughs> out-of-hours conduct. And yes. maybe you can just say briefly what the facts in Birkinshaw and uh, Maria nominees are. Yeah, absolutely. So Birkinshaw is a really interesting case because it's a case that involved a drunk employee, essentially. So he went out for Friday night's drinks. He stumbled in a client bar, essentially. So he worked for a liquor supplier and um, he asked for free drinks and he didn't get the free drinks. And so he started making threats that he would delay the order, delay the invoice. And um, obviously his employer found out and he got sacked. Right. Yeah. So the question is, for those of you who know Rose and Telstra is a case, and if you don't, please read about it. Yeah, very important. <laughs> There's three major tests. So when we talk about out-of-hours conduct, we're not talking about after-dinner drinks because they're actually part of employment. Mm. Okay. We're talking about conduct which is disconnected from work. That's right. And what Rose and Telstra said is there are three times when something disconnected from work can be a basis for discipline or termination. Mm. One, what you did is incompatible with the nature of your work and you'll see some examples we talk about shortly. Mm. But obviously, if your job is protecting animals and you go out shooting animals, yes. <laughs> that's incompatible with your job, okay? Does it affect the reputation or the financial viability of the business? Okay, we're going to give you a couple of cases on that, which are pretty obvious. Yeah. And is it something for which you as an employee could no longer be seen as a legitimate employer within the employer? Mm. So when we talked about Birchall, here's a person who clearly created reputational risk in mm. the organisation. So he, he was drawn into that, and, yes, he has definitely been properly terminated. Mm. Did he do anything that was incompatible with the nature of selling liquor? Not really. So he's just a single instance sort, mm. of, sort of guy. Yeah. If we go back and look at the older cases like Bogues and I can't pronounce the name, we'll just call it Bogues, yeah. <laughs> where a supervisor got picked up 0.14, which is three times the legal limit or nearly three times the legal limit then in Tassie, and Bogue's whole policy and code was written around responsible alcohol because that was how it was selling Bogue's in, in competition to Carlton, which was mm. about drink as much as you can. Yeah. They <laughs> sold this. And they said to people, this is a core part of who we are. So it went to being incompatible with the employer-employee relationship mm. because we're telling you this, but you're doing this. Mm. Okay? Yeah. It went to reputation. Okay. But it didn't go to the third part, which is it's not incompatible with doing his job. It mm. didn't create a risk around that. When we then go and have a look at Hunt and Camellia, which is a young man who ran a men's group teaching them about alcohol and violence, 
in an Aboriginal health organisation mm. and then was arrested after beating up his wife yeah. drunk. Tragic. And the organisation terminating, they said, well, you can't actually do the job when the behaviours you exhibited are inconsistent with what you're teaching. That's the third limb. Does that That's make right. sense? Yeah, it does. So there's our mm. examples. Yeah. So Birkinshire feels right within that. And then mm. there's this crazy case yes. called Sillings, which <laughs> is not a bad name for it. It's sort of yeah. almost eponymous, isn't it? Yeah. Sillings, it's <laughs> a silly case. Exactly. The New South Wales Industrial Relations yeah. Commission, which is sort of left of Stalin. Sorry, I didn't say that. Yeah. But they allowed yeah. a guy who was a prison guard mm. who had had serial violence against his wife, okay, to the stage where he was charged with a serious offence. And convicted. Too, and convicted. Mm. And so they terminated him and the court both at first instance appeals said, yeah. no, he's only in charge of people who've been convicted felons. What he does to his wife doesn't matter. Mm. Now, Gosh. remember, <laughs> these people are in our custody and control, so yeah. you would have thought the people who look after them are people who act lawfully around mm. violence and not unlawfully when it's a criminal system. That's right. So it is a bullshit decision. It's a shocker that sits <laughs> yeah. out there and it would not be found in any other jurisdiction in no. Australia, okay? No. So I thought we'd just spend a little bit of time around that just so that we can nail it. All right. All right. The next subject today is one I think Nathan and I really, in fact, there's been interesting discussion mm. today as we've talked about it, which is this social media concept of the quiet quitter, which yeah. is the person who withdraws from the way we used to work five years ago, mm -hmm. which where work was your method of identif identifying yep. yourself. It's your identity, essentially. Yeah, yeah. to one where you are part of a, a broader ecosystem of life where yeah. your family are important, mm -hmm. your social activities are important, what else you do. Yeah. Now, let's talk about some evidence because that's always helpful at this time. Yeah, absolutely. What, what we know about the evidence is this, that where people have a broader lifestyle of engagement in other things, particularly family but also other activities, have a higher likelihood of being physically healthier. Mm. They have a higher production level than someone who doesn't. Yeah. And they have better mental health outcomes. So at the moment, quite quitter sounds pretty good to me, mm. don't you? <laughs> yeah. Now, how do we know what was the life cycle of quiet quitters' emergence? Mm. Was people came through COVID. Mm. They were allowed not to go to work. Yeah. They were exposed to what they hadn't been doing. That's right. They liked what they hadn't been doing. For sure. yeah. And they reflected on work and thought, well, look, I'm really happy to work hard, but mm. I actually want to get some balance into my life. I yeah, don't want to more to my life. I, I don't want to not do my job. Yeah. But I don't want to immerse myself in my job. Mm -hmm. That's a bit of a warning. I think all of us know mm -hmm. that now that people have tasted the bread and butter, they don't want to go back to gruel. No. So <laughs> if you're a dumb employee, you say, let's get everyone back to work. Yeah. Straight you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, the evidence for that's not good because the productivity levels are no less in the virtual community. Mm. Although, as I've said, long-term, purely virtual, you do see a decline in productivity. But in the hybrid environment, what we're seeing is a higher level of productivity. That's right. And actually a greater distribution of work throughout a day, which allows mm. flexibility and delivery, which we didn't have before. That's right. So we've actually seen an upside during this. So don't believe the nonsense to the contrary. <laughs> but I think what Nathan and I have found most scary is this has started to become a pejorative term. Yeah. Particularly from people my age, and I can say that because I'm, yeah. I'm a person that age. Yeah. And if you remember um, 15 years ago where language was politicised very readily mm. to attack people who stood up for individual liberties or for marginal groups or whatever it was, they became people who were politically correct. Yeah. So actually standing up for a lawful right mm -hmm. made you a difficult person. Mm -hmm. Standing yeah. up for human decency made you a 
difficult person That's right, yeah. because you were labelled as a person who was politically correct, whereas, in fact, the majority of those people were just lawfully correct. Just doing the right thing. Doing the right yeah. thing. So I guess when you hear this title, be really careful that you don't use it as a pejorative term. In fact, I'd prefer if you didn't use it all because the word quitter suggests that you're running away. Mm. Now, Neith, you've done some research. What's yeah. the evidence that sits around is this a good or a bad thing? And what are the attitudes of people that sit behind it? I think quite quitting is quite a phenomenon, especially amongst younger people around Gen Z. And it's not really a surprise at all because 50% of people in the latest Gallup reported, you know, feeling stressed and burned out about their work. And so it is not a surprise that people are now putting their lives, just like focusing on, on their lives and, and the different aspects of their lives as opposed to just making work their identity. And let's yeah. stop there. In 1938, we had our first lot of quiet quitters. Didn't mm. we? That's when we went, yeah. that's when Victoria was the first state to go to a 40-hour that's week. That's right, yeah, exactly. Because at that stage, we were a religious state mm. and we thought there needed to be time for God mm. and we thought there needed to be time for family. Yeah. So we, we decided as a community that there was something more than work. Now, mm. what's happened in the last 10 years is the opposite. Mm. Although there are many people who work 38 and 40 hours, most people are working much harder than yeah. they ever did before. That's right. So it's not a surprise that no. people are feeling burnt out because mm. in 1938 we said enough is enough, mm. reduce the hours. Yeah. Okay, what other evidence you got? The other evidence that I've got is, is just mainly around like the, the burnout that is experienced. I think that is consistent in, in various reports about like quitting. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean as I expressed. So that, I think yeah. the other the other part about that yeah. is we've we've got to understand that disruption creates anxiety. Mm -hmm. And for yeah. those of you who thought the end of the COVID lockdown would be the end of disruption, well, we just know that's not true. And we know that's not going to be true for a very long time. In fact, what we know about disruption is two things. One is chunky, mm. so it doesn't you don't disrupt gently like that. You, no. you do this. Yeah. And secondly, it's going to escalate. Yeah. So the other thing we know from the data that Need produced is this the change in the mentality of first world mm. employees yeah. is I want to choose the best employee, mm. employer to go to. So I will select who I go to. Mm. I'm not going to go to anyone. So what are the opportunities? We know there is a lack of talent mm -hmm. at the moment. It's very hard yeah. to attract it. We know there are people who want purposeful, meaningful work. Yeah. We know they want clarity about what is work and what is not work. None of those things are hard to achieve, are they? But they require a real commitment to say, if you come and work for us, this is the, the opportunity you have. Mm. This is what it looks like and this is how we're going to help grow and manage you. Yeah. And we will support you to be a broader person because we understand that's better for us and better for you. So we put quite quitters up today. Nina, yeah. Nina raised it as a, as a challenge to us to work yeah. out, is it a good or a bad thing? Yeah. I think the answer is it's a words we shouldn't use mm -hmm. because it has already developed its pejorative meaning. But yeah. if I put that on LinkedIn, I get a 1,000 hits without difficulty because yeah. it's a talked-about concept at the moment. Yeah, it's very, very trendy. Okay, now, mate, yeah. it's all over to you now because we're going to go into the case study. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. Zoran was the call center supervisor for Women's Health Safety, Inc. So WMHS offered online counseling for women who found themselves in a mental health crisis and needed urgent support. All the call center operatives were women. This was deliberate to make callers feel safe. VCAT had granted WMHS a permanent exemption from anti-discrimination pursuant to the Victorian Equal Opportunity Act 2010. WMHS had a detailed code of conduct that said, as a core value, it would promote the safety of all women and be an advocate for women's safety in Victoria. 
Zorin separated from his wife, Nadine, in February 2022, and he suspected that she had been having an affair. A few months later, he found her new Facebook account, and although it had high privacy settings, it showed her with a new man as the account profile. Zoran followed Nadine home from work and took a photo of her with Keith. He then emailed her with the photo, saying, so this was the man you were with when we were together. Nadine wrote back briefly, saying, I only met Keith at work four weeks ago. He's a good and kind man. Please stop following me. I find it very distressing. Zoran didn't stop, so Nadine obtained an interim AVO to stop the stalking and his increasingly threatening emails and texts, and Zoran's work had no knowledge of the interim AVO. A few weeks later, Zoran was out drinking with friends following Carlton's loss to Brisbane, the mix- Just need to say at this stage, because Sophie deleted a whole <laughs> lot of it. He was depressed because the president said they were definitely going to be in the eight. Right. <laughs> and only weeks ago, after a run of three wins, was so excited, said well, how successful they were and they started losing. Oh. I just thought, insert that. So that's why he's depressed. <laughs> yeah. Broken expectations. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the mixture of feeling depressed, drinking a lot, and then seeing Nadine walk past the pub in the arms of Keith was too much. Zoran ran outside to confront them. He slapped Nadine, called her a range of terrible names, and had to be dragged off by other customers at the bar. Shortly after, Zoran was arrested by police and eventually bailed 10 hours late on breach of the AVO, common assault, and a variety of other charges. Nadine rang the CEO of WMHS and told her what had happened. On Monday morning, Zoran was directed to attend a disciplinary meeting where WMHS told him what they had been made aware of. Zoran denied everything and claimed his wife was lying when they asked if he had an interim AVO. Zoran was stood down on pay while a quick investigation revealed he had uh, he was on an interim AVO. WMHS obtained information from the charging officer, court document laying out the charges, and a statement from the publican verifying what had happened. WMHS met with Zoran again, went through the evidence, and allowed him to consider it. They explained the conduct goes to the heart of what WMHS seeks to protect. Zoran said it was a stitch-up and denied he had done anything wrong. His employment was summarily terminated. I want you to notice that at no stage did I read that with my lips while you were doing it. (laughs) When Nina is watching, I wasn't doing this all the way through, okay, because that's what I normally do and I didn't do it, okay, out of respect for you. But when Nina comes back, I'm going to do it. Okay, interesting case in a whole lot of ways. One thing I want everyone to understand is there is no lack of procedural fairness in this case. So don't go down the rabbit Mm -hmm. hole on that. We're assuming there is good procedural fairness. Mm -hmm. The questions that sit seriously behind this is, Mm -hmm. is the conduct the type of conduct that would be a valid reason? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. If it was serious misconduct, it would be. And remember, serious misconduct has a definition in the regulations, Regulation 107. Yeah. The next question you've got to look at and the question to really throws it up to you is, mm. well, is it is it reasonable? Is it mm. just? Yeah. Is it fair? Well, we know it's fair. Mm-hmm. So the next question, would it be reasonable and just? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that as we come to it. So was Zoran's out-of-work conduct serious misconduct? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, We've got a few minutes to fill in. I meant to say that. <laughs> I'm new to this. No, 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 it's okay. So the answer is when we look at Telstra and Rose, or Rose and Telstra, which is probably cool, what did his behaviour do? Was it incompatible with his nature of the relationship of his employer? Yes, it was. Yes. Because they're somebody who warehouses alcohol and he's threatening the chain of supply. Yeah. 
Did it do reputation damage? But yes. Was it inconsistent with his job? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in all three categories mm. of Rose and Telstra, it's serious misconduct. Mm, okay? Absolutely, yeah. And if you have a look at serious misconduct, it's worth going and having a look and see. What it, but the code is a lawful and reasonable direction. That's right. One breach. Mm-hmm. We'll come into the dishonesty a little bit later. Yeah. The risk to reputation and viability, yeah. serious misconduct. Yeah. So you can yeah. see it really ties in very simple. So, yes, it is serious misconduct. That's right. Therefore, it is a valid reason. The next question is, would it be reasonable to terminate? Mm. Well, we'll come to that at the end. Yeah. Would it be just? Now, remember, just is, was there a proper legal and factual basis for a decision to be made? So, Mm. would it be just and reasonable to rely upon the AVO and charge allegations unproven in the disciplinary proceedings? Now, this is a common furphy. Mm-hmm. People go, well, they've been charged. It doesn't mean it's been proven. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, your burden of proof is not beyond reasonable doubt. Yours is on the balance of probabilities, okay? Right. So it's a Brigginshaw and Brigginshaw test based That's on right. the seriousness. Mm-hmm. So here, quite a serious allegation of criminality. Yes. So you'd have to satisfy yourself with some independent evidence as to the truth of the factual allegations made by the wife, mm-hmm. Nadine, Okay. But you've got that. You've got the publican. Yes. You've got the charging officer. That's right. You've got enough for the balance of probabilities. Mm. So the answer is it would be just because you hold facts that you can reasonably rely upon mm-hmm. and which meet the Brigginshaw standard. So, yes, it would be. Yeah. The last question is, was Zoran's dishonesty serious misconduct in the circumstances? Mm. And dis- even with Sophie's editing, <laughs> 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 Even with Sophie's editing, there were two acts of dishonesty. One, a complete denial of the AVO. That's right. Okay. I don't have this. It's a lie. Mm. And then a more general one after the editing of none of this is true, it's a stitch-up. Mm. Okay? Yeah. So, in other words, saying in respect of each particular of the allegation you make against me, it's a stitch-up, it's not true. Mm. And that's made with a knowledge that what he's saying is a lie. Mm. So it's, yeah. not, it's not about saying something that's wrong. Mm. It's about having the intention to deceive. Yes. Okay. It was an act of life, yeah. Yeah. And once again, the regulations mm. for serious misconduct identified dishonesty mm-hmm. as a basis for summary termination. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So here we've got all the evidence that says mm. this guy's done two things. One, he's breached a re- all three elements of Rose and Telstra. Mm-hmm. He's lied and even without them being found in a criminal jurisdiction, there is sufficient evidence Mm -hmm. based on Brigginshaw to make a finding of serious misconduct. So the last question we're left with, so we've got, is there a valid reason? Mm. Tick. Was it just? Tick. Tick. Was it fair? Tick. The next question is, was it reasonable? And that looks to his longevity and the nature and the way he Mm -hmm. practised and the nature of what was said. And the answer is Rosenthal's just very clear about reasonable. Mm. When it comes to committing a significant wrong that is directed towards the heart of the business, the weight you would normally give to reasonableness drops away. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it would definitely be serious misconduct and his employment would be definitely terminated. That's right. Unless he's in New South Wales under mm. New South Wales oh, Industrial where he would be promoted to premier. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. <laughs> Or give them a job in America. That's That's very true. So, look, that's our our stuff for today. We are going to look really carefully and study a bit deeper the issues around gendered violence and about the incoming governments and the state governments in Australia's focus on gender equality in the next one. This is a really significant part for, A, obvious, doing the right thing in your workplace. Mm -hmm. 
but it also is fundamental in the way you carry on business in Australia going forward. For the reasons I've talked about procurement, for the reasons we've talked about in safety, treating people with decency, fairness, irrespective of their gender or whatever protected attribute, mm. will also be the only way you'll be able to get work supplying. Yeah. So if you don't do it for the right reasons, do it for the ones of sustainability. That's correct. We'll talk to you more about that yeah. next week. And well done, Neve. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> See you later again. Bye-bye. Bye.